that I started really asking myself, what is a friend? And I said to myself, if there's people on my Facebook, that's a great example for me. If there's people on my Facebook where if I would be in their city, they wouldn't be willing to pick me up from the airport because I don't have the $10 to get to downtown. I don't want them on my Facebook. So I deleted literally probably 600 people off my Facebook. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just so delighted to welcome Stefan Thieringer to the My Fourth Act podcast. Stefan is a German-born serial entrepreneur, business thinker, executive coach, and investor. He's the founder and CEO of the Boston-based Human Innovation Garage. And let me just say this, to me, this is actually one of my most favorite business names for any business in the coaching industry anywhere. I love this name. Stefan's extensive professional expertise includes, among many other things, serving as senior lecturer in management and entrepreneurship at Suffolk University, and way back in the days, serving as director of operation at New York's world-famous Waldorf Astoria Hotel. His numerous awards include being named as one of the world's top 100 coaching leaders by the World Human Resource Conference and World Coaching Congress in 2020. Stefan is also the outspoken host of his own podcast, Raw Rants. And in recent years, he's faced the end of a marriage to a woman he loved, faced mortality. So he's gone through a profound personal journey as he investigates what really matters to him. So Stefan, hello, welcome. Achim, uh, wonderful to be here. And I'm always excited, right? Because the German connection here, we can pronounce each other's name <laughs> exactly the way it was intended by our parents. It's wonderful uh, to be here. Absolutely. Thank you I will, I will honor the Germanness in you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always curious, since you already made mention of our shared culture, and I want to also say that your father was a prominent political leader in a large town in Germany, and that can be a wonderful thing, but that can also yeah. be a pressure-filled thing. So when you were a young boy growing up in in a political family with a yeah. civic leader, dad, who did you think you wanted to be when you grew up or who did your parents want you to be when you grew up? You know, it's, it's such an interesting question and so timely. I mean, you've talked about, you know, personal journey, hardships. Uh, interesting enough, as we are speaking today, just this year, I lost earlier this year, I lost my father at the age of 94 and, and you and I off record obviously have spoken about this. When I was little, and I actually speak about it in one of my TEDx talks, when I was little, because I was so fascinated when my father had a driver and he would pick me up in the morning with my father and then drop me off at school. And it started at a very young age until we got older. And the one thing I always loved going just with my driver, uh, with my father's driver to was the gas station. And what was so much fun was taking that squeegee where 
at that time, you know, windows were not the big windows where the front little window yeah. was integrated. There was eight windows on the car. And I literally, I was fighting for that squeegee so I could wash the window. So what I really wanted to be when I was very little, very young, I wanted to be a gas station attendant <laughs> because it was just so fascinating. And there was yeah. a service component about it, et cetera, et cetera. And as I got older, it transitioned because of a friend of my mother's and somebody where we, we had a dog. I was very young. For me, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So that was my first big dream. Now, I chuckle as I listen to those two wonderful examples because I know you've had many stages in your life already, professionally speaking. But when you and I first got to know each other, I was struck by you. You started off in, in the hospitality industry. Right. Which... In some places, that's considered cool, but also thinking of my traditional German family, that's the last place my parents would have wanted me to go to. Absolutely. So what drove you into that industry? I'm curious. And how did mom and dad react? It's interesting. There is a distinct difference between mom's reaction and dad's reaction, as uh -huh. I'm sure you can imagine, uh, in the context of you've provided earlier. I want to be a veterinarian and then had an opportunity to be in a what we call a land clinic, a land clinic to see how literally a veterinarian who was the friend had to help birth with a young horse. And that was, for me, the complete turnoff of what I imagined being a veterinary was, yeah. which was, you know, small animals, dogs, the cute neighborhood. So that kind of swiveled me in the other direction. And then as I got older, my interest suddenly became, you know, I was 18 and I wanted to travel the world as a graduation gift at the end of school. I was in the Maldives and wanted to stay there and dive and be in the ocean and all the things. And then my mom and dad called and said, no, no, you're coming home. You got to do something. And very respected, I wouldn't say friend, but somebody my father knew very well was one of the top general managers in the country of a hotel that was in Stuttgart, Steigenberger Hotels. Yeah. And he said, you know, I'm going to call. I just want to interject for anybody who's not Steigenberger is an illustrious high-end German or Central European hotel chain. Yeah. And so in Stuttgart, we had the Hotel Graf Zeppelin, which at that time was, and it's still there today, was at that time ranked in the top 10 hotels. And my father said, oh, you're going to go do just an internship and see if that's something that speaks to you. And I was so fascinated by the interaction with people, by the conversations, very profound conversations I had with mm -hmm. people at the bar as I was uh, observing, or in the banquet area. I remember Kosiga, when he was in Stuttgart at the castle, the state reception was hosted. I was able to be there as well with the staff because the, this particular hotel would always host these state receptions. And the combination between, there was some global aspect to it, the dynamic, the craziness of it, the constant change, it really drew me there. And then one day, Mr. Herr came to me and said, you know what, you're doing an amazing job. I can actually fast forward you and we're going to credit you already apprenticeship. We're going to put you into hospitality management school, A, B, C, and D. Make a very long story short. I was, I was intrigued. I did it and then kind of ended up through that journey in Switzerland, hospitality management school, et cetera. And then ultimately ended up in the United States, initially for Ritz-Carlton hotels, where I met at the Nassau Hof in Wiesbaden, where I was what we say in German Direktionsassistent, where we, uh, where I met the, co-founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotels, Siggy Brauer, German as well, yeah. never spoke a word of German with me, and uh, said to me, if you're ready to do people business, come to the United States. That was in July 
August 30th, 1991, I arrived in Boston and was at the Ritz-Carlton in Boston. As I listen to the, this, this wonderful, very fast-track story, and, and I'd love to go a little deeper because you talked about your interest in people and the, the people dynamics, yeah. and you're obviously in that field right now. But as somebody who used to live in Manhattan for many years, and I used to be way too poor to hang out at the Waldorf Astoria. I mean, I, I went walk through the lobby, but that's sure. where, where my friends and I hung out. You were the head of operations in this world-famous hotel for a while yeah. that all of our listeners know. If you had to just share one story with us, either a highlight or a low light. And I know in, in hospitality industry, there are both, and there are definitely low lights. So you decide what's the high point Oh, what was the moment where you go, what the hell am I doing here? I'll share a self-incriminating story where some people will cringe about and say, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. But it's also, I think, a good context in the day of inherent bias and the way we see the world and discrimination yeah. and inclusivity and diversity, etc. So I was there when Madeleine Albright was the ambassador to the United Nations. I mean, a wonderful, wonderful woman. So highlight there was always her very personalized interaction and I was seeing her almost every day. And I was also there in the transition when she left and Kofi Annan came in. Mm -hmm. And Kofi Annan lived at the Waldorf Towers at the Waldorf Hotel or Astoria Hotel at that time was the Waldorf Towers, which was about 250 very high-end guest suites and rooms. And the other part is about 1,250 rooms, which were just almost like a conference hotel a little bit. And we had at that time the largest conference facility in New York. Mr. Anand and I were talking about his uh, transition into the hotel and how he's living in, in his living quarters. And as we all know, Mr. Anand, by heritage, is, is not a white-skinned man. Mm -hmm. And you start building these stereotypes about the people they are with and they should be with. So I'm sitting with him. The, the hallways in these hotels, in particularly the Waldorf and the suites, are very, very long. And I'm sitting with him in, on kind of almost like a, a living room area. And I have other stuff there. There's also security there. And a woman walks in, bright, smiling, blonde, Swedish looking. And I get up and I say, Mr. Anand, excuse me for just one moment. I walk up to her and I say, ma'am, good afternoon. Is there anything I can help you with? And that was his wife. And it was one of those, one of those moments which was, you know, this aha moment, and I look back at that situation so many times today, how the world is developing, how we yeah. judge people, how we are very stereotypical, how we make other expectations ours or our expectations others. And that was, for me, probably one of those pivotal moments in the most endearing. I mean, her energy was incredible. His energy was incredible. The context of who he was, also the politics he would uh, make following that. Not because the interaction between his wife, I, and him, but just the general global context. It was just such a humbling experience. And I look back at that many, many times. Yeah. It, it's such a wonderful transition to, because you, at some point you stop working in hospitality. Yeah. But one way that you and I are similar, and I, I'd like for you to expound on it, we both come from these traditional German cities but you've, your work became very international in education, yeah. technology, and entrepreneur. Uh, you did a lot of work in India, other parts yeah. of the world. Did that all just sort of happen? Because sometimes we do stuff because 
somebody calls us and we say yes, or how much of that was, oh yeah, I think I want to do that. Let me make it happen. That's a great question. I never, uh, I never really thought about it this way. I think my, it was very clear from my father's hospitality was something that was initiated by my father and I went along with it and then found joy, pleasure. And really I found a home in that I connected with that yeah. industry. I connected with that piece. And I think the one thing which was very clear for me, particularly as I speak to people today and they ask me, well, interesting journey. The journey is really people. And that was for me really a constant. Even when I was in education technology, it was always about how can I connect people and what is it that we can serve and support people with? In the instance of education technology was access to world-class education of about 265 institutions around the world. Some of your listeners may be familiar with open content at MIT and the open content initiative. There's uh, initially were three institutions, which was Johns Hopkins, Carnegie Mellon, and MIT, who were funded by the Hewlett Foundation to create open educational resources, which today oftentimes we refer to as MOOCs, massive open online content. And that was a journey I traveled for a long time. So as I came out of hospitality, I was coincidentally introduced through catering software work to a couple of guys who were creating a training tool for compliance management that was in the late 90s for Cumberland Farms, which is a regional company here. So that was sexual harassment, discrimination, and diversity. The combination of that was that I was coming out of New York as well after four or five years in New York. And I wanted to be back in Boston. So the option for me was, am I going to go work for someone else? Or am I going to be, from here on out, unemployable and start my own journey, so to speak, which is the entrepreneur's journey. And that happened then in the late 90s or late 98. I've been unemployable ever since, so to speak. I know you can relate to that as well. And so it's something where it was maybe a little coincidental, but I found the impact was always something that was very important to me. Oftentimes people say to me, why did you leave India? And I always have this gut about, I left something behind that I didn't entirely finish. That was probably, you know, the consistent journey, education, supporting people, providing people kind of from a aspect of what's possible, yeah. that view into their own future, that view into possibility. And I heard many years ago, this wonderful quick quote, see the invisible, do the impossible. And that's Beautiful. always a little bit guided me along the way as well. I am certainly just like you, 100% unemployable. So I, I <laughs> right. and I herald your journey and I'm going to take us to the human innovation garage, but there may be lots of listeners who go, well, Stefan makes it sound kind of easy. Yeah, I decided I want to do my own thing and let me do my own thing. Because many listeners, especially as we get older, we think there's this my own thing I always wanted to do, but we may yeah. have lots of stories why we shouldn't do it. Yeah. And when you started the Human <laughs> Innovation Garage, you're you're in an industry, you know, it's personal development, growth, team building. There are lots of other people doing it. Yeah. So it would be very easy to say, why me? Why Stefan? You know, why, why am yeah. I competing with the big boys and girls who are already all doing this? Yeah. So given that framework, because it's a bit of a departure from the education software, so it's different from some of the other stuff. Yeah. What triggered Human Innovation Garage in you? 
Let's talk about the name and that'll be part of the answer that I want to give you also about my personal journey. So Human Innovation Garage, when people say today, well, what's the name about is, is about humanity, is about human. We all are inherently human and we have all these needs and wants, we, the desire to be seen, the desire to matter, the desire to contribute actively. And I think that conversation in particular, I mean, you know, the last two years has been a huge focus on that conversation and yeah. inclusiveness. Innovation is something I think we make it too complicated, right? Innovation is something we very easily can be inspired by things that work and don't work. And if I'm able with, and here comes the garage and with a tool set, with some framework of support, and that may be all kinds of different things, if I'm able to help you see the brilliant pieces that you can potentially reinvent yourself, re-innovate yourself or innovate yourself in the first place, that can make you from a future standpoint, somebody who is very, very powerful and very, very driven to do something either different or new, recognizing that potentially some patterns you've identified from your behaviors, from your actions in the past are no longer serving you today and will no longer serve you in the future. So that's kind of the general framework of human innovation or the human innovation garage. Personally, for me, it was about, and I'll be very direct with you, in 2012, I started hearing this, hearing this rumor and the talk about there's coaching, there's you know, business coaching, executive coaching, life coaching. And then obviously, the association was always made, as you said earlier, with the big names in the industry. I mean, that's how I was introduced to you. Oh, what? there's this gentleman you need to meet. I mean, initially, it was pure admiration that I knew you had written a book were somebody who was practicing uh, what we're talking about here for a long time in a very successful manner and had built a company around it as well. I think you just called me old. No, I just said you were very <laughs> experienced. So, oh, experienced. <laughs> isn't, like aren't we on the fourth act? Isn't it? <laughs> so I would never call you old because I think it's not about, you know, I think one of the things about inspiration in particular, it's not about age. It's about wisdom. It's about experience. It's about expertise. It's about knowledge. And I think that's what you were very kind also with me to relate some of that to me. And along the journey, then we became friends. But so that was my entry into also the coaching world. And I spoke to some different people. I spoke to people at, you know, the, the federations we all know, International Coaching Federation and other training institutes. And I started realizing that good coaching is not just about the certificate you hold, it's about the life experience you bring into and how are you able to relate your own knowledge, but also in the context of the person that you're listening to and the emphasis yeah. being on listening in guiding them in a way that they are able to discover their own resources, which goes back to the innovation of myself and being able to move forward in a way that supports them, but also gives them joy, gives them, if we talk about passion and, and some fire and you know they're getting lit up about what's ahead of them kind of that futurist plan for them. And that was fascinating to me. And part of it came out of it simply that I think I felt along my journey, particularly in formal education, I sometimes was not giving that opportunity because I think formal education is very limited and it doesn't open up the possibility and shows people, young kids, even older kids like you and I, sometimes what's possible. That's what fascinated me. I'm a firm believer that because we talked about the name Human Innovation Garage, and I'm a firm believer that when somebody decides that I, I want to work with Stefan, for example, or I want to work with Achim, it's on some part 
people go, and this is not conscious. I, I want to innovate myself like Stefan has, you know, yeah. you are, your story is about change and innovation and, and yeah. doing some things that are unexpected. You talked about looking at habits, beliefs, and patterns, but I was also thinking, and I'm going to relate this to our listeners. Part of innovation is having the courage to completely change the story of what things should look like or could like look like. Is that correct? 100%. I think the emphasis being on the two words, should like and could look like. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of external influence sometimes and the validation we're seeking external rather than evaluating and searching within self. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. The funny part about being in the human potential business, innovation business, you know, you are a leader and space holder for others. But if you don't mind, I know in recent years, you, you've had two profound experiences that have impacted how you, Stefan, view yourself yep. and the choices that you make in life. Sure. And you decide where you want to go with it. But one, I, I never met your wife, but I know that you love her dearly. What I appreciate about you didn't marry a meek and timid woman. You were married to a rock star wife. Yep. And I know you were affected by the end of the marriage. How has the end of a marriage affected you, changed you? I'll leave it at that. Whenever there's an ending, there's also a beginning. And I think I don't mean this in the context of you end a marriage and get into another relationship. What I'm talking about is you are concluding for yourself a chapter in life that goes back to the fact of closure you will never get from someone else. You have to give closure to yourself. And part of giving yourself closure is also acknowledging the mistakes, the choices, and the sometimes not so good choices you've made, speaking for myself, and dealing and acknowledging and appreciating and just honoring also the results that you've created for yourself and others and the pain you've inflicted on yourself and on others. I think the biggest word and the one word I want to focus on in that context is integrity. And I, in the context of my marriage for a long time, while we looked like a functioning couple and everything was great on the external side, I did have no integrity. And that was the biggest piece for me. How do I live my life in the context of when I speak, particularly in a romantic context with people and how I engage, do I have integrity or not? And that was the biggest piece. And that was the one piece really in terms of change, how I live my life, how I hold myself accountable has significantly and solely shifted. And I didn't do it alone. I hired myself a coach in that world of marriage that's a therapist. And I've traveled a long journey there. And that journey didn't last just a week or two or five. That was probably about two and a half years of work, almost three years, to be able to come out on the other side and say, you know what, now I feel good about myself. Not because of what I've done or what I haven't done, 
but I feel now that I have the tool set that I will not repeat the pattern that I've created for myself in the past. And I can go forward with integrity, commitment, cleanliness, almost, so to speak, almost. And I think that's in the context of human relations in their intimacy is so important. I'm so appreciating your reflection on, on your role in the dissolution of the marriage. But if I go back to the idea of story, I think our the story in our culture is is that marriages or relationships have to last forever, and you could also like like who came up with that rule, right? Why does that have to? One hundred percent. You know, so it's interesting as well that circumstances invited you to to yeah. look at all of that. You know, there's a woman at Harvard who is considered a, a and I forgot her name, but she's considered a relationship expert. I believe she was married three times, and people always say, "How can you be the expert in relationships?" She goes, "Well." Exactly to your point, we have to understand that relationships today have a much longer term. The, the The reason for a relationship is no longer that one can't exist without the other. Women, as well as men, can exist parallel or decide to live separately because we both have now financial means as men and women or whichever way somebody may declare uh, to, to sustain themselves. And that has changed tremendously in our life expectancy is now you, know, you sit down with a financial planner today, they plan until 94, 95. Yeah. Well, 15 years ago, that was not the case. And so I think those cycles we are in, in the growth we experience, forget about growth within the marriage, but growth as a human yeah. being, there are just simple situations where people grow apart. And that can be done in very thoughtful, amicable, kind manner. And I see people do it, and I see people talk about it. And I think that's an important thing to remember. You mentioned 94 and 95, and we're talking about longevity. And at the same time, I know that you had a very serious brush with mortality when you were unexpectedly in the hospital. I'll leave it at that, but I think many people as we get older we have experiences around yeah. our health, which become a true wake-up call. Yeah. Can you give us a snapshot of what happens to you first before we sure. go into the meaning-making afterwards? <laughs> right. Very quick story. I was downtown Boston at a meeting, went to a second meeting, felt a little nauseous, was conscious all the way through. And after meeting number two, I was walking, if somebody knows Boston, kind of downtown crossing area and walked into a shoe store. And I said, gentlemen... I think I need an ambulance. And I just was nauseous and felt really off. And I'm not a guy who just goes to the doctor because somebody says, I got to go to the doctor. And there was a gentleman in the store who was shopping and he says, uh, does anybody have aspirin here for this gentleman? And I didn't put the pieces together yet, but one of the store clerks, he called 911, handed me his mobile phone. His name was Sebastian. And Sebastian probably was one of the people who in the first step saved my life. And ran across the street to a Walgreens, came back with baby aspirin. Mm. And while the dispatcher says to me, take four baby aspirin, uh, dry, no chewing, he literally already had the bottle in front of me, which was amazing. And make a long story short, I was in a cardiac event. I was effectively having a heart attack while I was fully conscious. My blood pressure was out the roof. And it was on a Monday and Wednesday, I had a quadruple bypass. All original parts, completely re-engineered. 
that was in February 2020. My timing was perfect because I wasn't going into FOMO. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine, German friend of mine as well, comes in on a Saturday on the 28th or 29th, whatever the Saturday was, and says to me, you do realize that the world is like shutting down. I'm going, yeah, I can see it on my television. And so my timing was perfect. It was one of those moments where you recognize, as you said, there is shortness of life. I was never afraid of dying. But there's also a reality that you go, wow, that's your heart, right? That's where you have an event. And I found out earlier that day then, uh, that Saturday, uh, from one of the nurses, she goes, yeah, you actually checked out on Wednesday night. But that's a normal thing. Don't worry about it. So nobody really told me all the details. But, and that seems to be a normal thing, that when they put your lung on a coat hanger and your, your heart on the other, that you, know, you sometimes say goodbye and they bring you back. Uh, but which was the reason then also... Uh, they kept me sedated for almost 24, 25 hours before they brought me back to the real world the following day. So it was, as you said, it was a reality check. And today also, you know, I do talk a lot about shortness of life and accepting that. And uh, I'll stop here. Since we've been talking really a lot about people and the importance of people, I spent I took my partner to the hospital yesterday for a routine procedure. But when he came out afterwards, again, his first reaction was how wonderful the doctor was, how wonderful the nurses were. And the people part of even a routine procedure where there was nothing at stake. Uh, And and I I believe you, the people part of the experience impacted you powerfully as well. Would you give us a snapshot of when literally other people are handling your life? Yeah, Would you speak to that? Oh, um, So I, I arrived in the ER and the ER at uh, Mass General Hospital. Mass General Hospital, forgive me, you guys are fucking amazing. And I just made your podcast X-rated. The ER is, is troublesome at Mass General Hospital. And anybody in the medical community in Boston knows that. Once you make it beyond the ER, that hospital is amazing. And I was connected in the ER that night was an attending heart surgeon or a cardiologist there. He was German. And uh, he, once my blood work came back, suddenly the train started moving. And it was probably one of the words I talk a lot about in the context of my heart surgery is the word surrender. I'm a guy, I walk into a room, I want control, whatever that means. I mean, control is an illusion, but I want to know what's going on. I will be the one to tell the doctor what to do because I've read it all on Google. I know everything about it. Well, this time I just shut my mouth. And that surrender really gifted me the top two guys at Mass General, completely coincidentally, because this gentleman who was there, based on the German connection and his generosity of introducing, brought that night the number one guy of cardiology to my room. And I felt immensely taken care of, immensely cared for, not just a number, like oftentimes people say about hospitals. And I didn't ask for anything. It just coincidentally happened because of Maybe because I was quiet, maybe because I didn't ask for it, maybe because I didn't push for it, maybe because I shut my mouth. And it was just such an incredible experience all the way through. That was from the nurses on the ICU, that was to the way they interacted, to one of the biggest experiences I want to share this, if I may, very briefly, the staff which came in to change my trash every single day and brought me the food. And the smile at that moment when you wake up in the morning, these are the first people you see. And they say, good morning. And you get the smile. There was a woman. She was from Jamaica. I stopped there on the second or third day. I said, I got to tell you something. You are my experience in this hospital. 
Nobody ever talks about these people because they're like the sideshow, right? The front show is the doctor and, and the guy who's got the talent. And hopefully he or she has bedside manner. Nevertheless, those experiences were just absolute incredible. I was just at MGH yesterday, coincidentally, for for a checkup. And I'm always so tempted to just walk up there and bring them a whole bunch of, you know, 500 donuts and say, guys, you were amazing. I mean, I did that at the beginning. It's a life-changing experience. And particularly if you pay attention to it, what happens, it's incredible. I had to chuckle at the fact that you want to bring them donuts. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Now... Have a donut. I appreciate the details. Um, So this happened about two and a half years ago or so. Yeah. What I'm really curious about, how has that experience impacted the choices you're making in your life? You've made since then. Yeah. Either Either in your thinking, but possibly thinking in actual choices about what you do, where you live, who you spend time with. Yeah. Uh, great question. You know, I think it's it's kind of interesting and serendipitous. That question comes on the podcast from a man who wrote a book, which was the first book I, I read from you, which was Moments. Or The Moment. Is the, it, moment. Is it, the Moment. And I think that's what it is. We We go through life and we go through the day, through the hour, without really paying attention what is happening and what's happening around us. In particular, in terms of the interaction and the depth of interaction with people that could be at the coffee shop, that could be a simple holding the door, a smile and saying, thank you, whatever it may be. So for me, the biggest change is that I really, I think it goes back to integrity of being. It goes back to, I mean, I went, and this may sound ridiculous to some people, but I started really asking myself, what is a friend? Yeah. And I said to myself, if there's people on my Facebook, that's a great example for me. If there's people on my Facebook where if I would be in their city, they wouldn't be willing to pick me up from the airport because I don't have the $10 to get to downtown. I don't want them on my Facebook. And I, I think I'll delete. That's a very German standard you just quoted. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but do you understand it? I and, totally understand. And, and so, so I deleted literally probably 600 people off my Facebook. Yeah. Because if, if we have business interactions – Let's do it on LinkedIn. Let's do it somewhere else, but not on my Facebook. I applied the same thing to Instagram. And a lot of people say, oh, you're missing opportunity. But you know what? I'm okay with that because I want to choose who I want to surround myself with. And I want to choose who I want to spend time with, right? I mean, one of the biggest gifts I I almost want to say gave myself was my father passed in January of this year. And I thank God. And I think I shared this with you. I decided in September I'm going to go over there for 10 days. I'm going to spend some time with him. We had breakfast every morning. I mean, he's so German rigid about it. You better be at the house at 8 o'clock. 8.15 is breakfast. And then we do this lunches at 12.30. Dinner is at 6.30. You know what? It was the best thing I ever did. I have pictures with him. We have videos. I have phone calls with my daughter with him, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think these choices, the consciousness, my soccer buddies, Right, taking a trip with the whole team to Ireland. These are guys who have played with for a long, long, long time. I, more than a decade, a lot of them. There's no pretense. There is no having to pretend. There is no storytelling uh, in terms of who you portray yourself to be. It's like they know who I am because they've seen me in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because also, when I had my heart attack, 
if that was my support group for my therapy group, but also my support of the soccer guys and other friends, the way they all pulled together was unbelievable. Showing up at the hospital, my daughter was managing my phone and text messages for like five days, filtering who gets to come to the hospital and who doesn't. I mean, it was just incredible, incredible. As you look to the future and you think, well, here's some things I would like to do more of and here's some things I would like to do less of. Yeah. Because every day is about moments, but it's all about choices. Sure. When you think about more of, less of, what comes to mind? It's kind of interesting. It kind of goes hand in hand. So I want to build a stronger community around wherever I will end up. So when I see these commercials on television and I see people sitting in the mountains in a hut and there's 10 people at the table and they have a dinner together and it's just kind of like fun. It's human connection. Mm -hmm. That's what I want more of Mm -hmm. because I think that keeps us alive. It's not about you know, the social or the professional accreditation and recognition and awards. I think those interactions, those juice us up. They feed us. What I want less of, and I'm speaking on a very personal level there, is I want to be able to let even more go of that social conformity that I sometimes feel compelled to jump into because I think I need to say something or I need to do something to look a certain way or do a certain thing a certain way because somebody else expects me to. I still deal with that because growing up with a father who was a politician, maybe that's a given. Being told by my grandmother from that I remember, people always know what we do and people always need to see that we are and pay attention to this. So there is social stigma around that as well. But I'm on the journey to, I think every week, maybe every month to let go of that a little more. That's yeah, the, the longer answer to a short question. Well, that quest is such a wonderful message for all of us, Stefan, not just for the Germans. So thank you for that. Thank you. If people want to learn more about you because they loved the conversation we had, where would you like to direct them to? You know, if you're on LinkedIn, the best way is just, you know, message me on LinkedIn and I'm easily found on LinkedIn or simply go to also Human Innovation Garage because we've talked about it so much now humaninnovationgarage.com that's the website and you'll find and connect with me there and and when i say connect really reach out personally i'm happy to have a chat happy to uh you know whatever the conversation is i think again going back to moments you know hearing different people different perspectives different backgrounds different cultures inspires me and i think that's really the connection i seek as well Thank you so much for the gift of this conversation. And uh, I hope that sometime soon you and I get to do this in person in Boston on one of my visits and uh, continue. Brilliant. Achim, thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be here and uh, sending Tschüss. you. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis bald. Tschüss. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.